on the subject of nests and happiness. A good omen's multivoice potwick, written by Nonsane. Chapter 3. Two Not Birds in One Nest. Summary. Aziraphale finally confronts Crowley about the cottage. Once more, overwhelming emotions ask time over for some biscuits and a cuppa, leaving the world frozen and yet still moving forward. If a pin had bothered to drop by, it would have gotten a noise complaint, and there certainly wouldn't have been any dancing. Aziraphale pulled back the hand he hadn't realized he'd been holding out towards the mirror. Distantly, he noted his reflection's cheeks lose color and grow pallid. Behind him, Crawley made noises struggling to be words. Not that I'm doing much better. There were a number of things Aziraphale wanted to say, all contradictory. He wanted to whirl around and demand Crowley explain himself. He wanted to pull Crowley close and praise his lovely home. He wanted to take Crowley's hands in his and beg forgiveness for intruding. He wanted to touch the feathers so very, very much. Slowly, time and emotions went their separate ways. His hands cradled close as if in preparation for prayer, as Zerophil managed to turn around. He didn't gasp as he came face to face with Crowley, but it was a near thing. He'd seen Crowley panicked before. It was a distressingly familiar sight this century, though the moments of trepidation and fear had grown less frequent as they put the near end of the world farther and farther behind them. Despite this, the panic on display now was new. For some reason, Crowley wasn't wearing his customary dark glasses. 1. Crowley never wore glasses inside a proper nest. It felt wrong somehow. He was now deeply regretting this habit. Leaving his whole face on rare display. His eyes were wide, his mouth hung open, his color caught between the same rosiness and pallor that had befallen Aziraphale. Strangest of all, his wings were visible, and they were shaking. Before Aziraphale could speak, Crowley did. You... you weren't supposed to. It's... it's not finished. What's not finished? Aziraphale asked, finding himself whispering as reverently as if they'd been in the most ancient of archives. He tried to meet Crowley's gaze, tried to keep paying attention to his expression, but his eyes kept straying to Crowley's wings. If the decorated mirror was a distraction, Crowley's wings were a beacon, blinding him to all else. He'd not seen them often, no, but they'd never been this overwhelming before, had they? Crowley made more noises and waved his arms around, gesturing at everything and nothing. The house? Aziraphale asked, daring a step closer. Yes. No, I... Ah. 
The feathers suddenly loosed from Crowley's wings, descending to the floor with the softest yet loudest of sounds Aziraphale had ever heard. Another swiftly followed. The sight of them were a most gentle punch to the gut. Something told Aziraphale that he should know what this meant, which was infuriating, because he very much didn't. It was on the tip of his tongue, like it must have been for years, if not centuries. It was some form of grand emotion, but it wasn't law. He'd long ago recognized and accepted his law for Crowley. No, this was something both old and new, and he had no name for it. He wanted to verbalize it, or at least its shape wanted to put form to his confusion and ask Crowley to alleviate it. But, of course, he didn't. What he said instead was, Are you injured? He reached for Crowley, and Crowley flinched, backed up against the wall, nearly taking down a clock with his right wing. He didn't answer with words but the frustrated shaking of his head left no room for miscommunication. Dread kept boiling, mixing with confusion and the nameless feeling. They'd formed a queasy cocktail that roiled in the pit of Aziraphale's stomach. Crowley didn't look angry, not exactly, but clearly the situation had gone all kinds of wrong. I'm sorry was all Aziraphale could think to say. Torn between a multitude of emotions, he'd not been prepared to deal with. Not in such a huge flood, all at once, without warning. These were feelings meant for late, solitary nights, curled up with a glass of wine and a comforting novel. He was left shipwrecked in the sensations of being very silly and very blind, and so very, very lost. Crowley steadied himself against the wall and drew in a deep breath, eyes closed. In the next moment, his wings had vanished and his glasses were back. Outside, he said. Let's talk outside. Yes, Aziraphale agreed, though the suggestion gave off such wrongness. Like he'd had taken a test and failed. Like he'd broken something. Y yes let's go outside. And they did. Get yourself together, you idiot! Was the first clear thought to cross Crowley's mind as they exited the cottage. He knows, yes, but he clearly doesn't know, so just deal with it. This was easier said than done, of course. He should have known the strange urge of his had been his and his alone. He should have expected Aziraphale to look at the cottage and just see a house. He had prepared himself for it, for this cosmic joke being played on him to one day reach its ultimate punchline. There were millions of demons and angels in the world, and yet Crowley had seen no evidence of any building project similar to his 
the times he'd visited hell, nor during his recent kidnapping to heaven. Why should Aziraphale be any different? Why should he have the same strange instinct that Crowley had been saddled with, just because he'd also ended up stationed on Earth since Eden? Then there was the worst thought that Aziraphale did know, but was too polite to say he didn't approve. Didn't... I'm sorry. Crowley choked back a noise of pain. This was it. This was the rejection he'd been fearing for four millennia. He could make it through. Aziraphale likely wouldn't even know what he was declining, and that was fine. It would have to be fine, because he was not losing his angel over something like this. He'd just start over somewhere else, keep it better hidden, and... I'm sorry I went behind your back, Aziraphale continued, sounding close to tears. I didn't mean to, I was... He paused, swallowed audibly. I was being a silly old thing and thought you'd invented some sort of game for us to play. You've never forgotten your mobile telephone before, and when that young lady caught talking about a cottage I've never heard of, I thought you'd made up a bit of a distraction for us. I can't begin to apologize enough. Oh, Angel. Squaring his shoulders, Crowley slowly turned around and faced Aziraphale. Seeing the wetness at the corner of his eyes hurt even worse than the undertone of them in his voice. I'm not angry with you. Crowley was quick to say, managing to achieve something close to his usual devil-may-care posture. Two. It ended up more devil will care very much, but what can you do? Just didn't expect you here, that's all. Put a bit of effort into keeping it hidden, as you can see. That much would be obvious to anyone with magical talents who'd stepped inside the cottage, and Aziraphale had magical talent to spare, and more. Three. Actual magical talent, that was. Aziraphale's absolute lack of talent for sleight-of-hand magic made it an utter mystery to Crowley why he kept up practicing and enjoying the ridiculous hobby. Then again, Crowley had always hated doing things he wasn't good at, unless there was an end goal that required he step out of his comfort zone. The cottage's village was a good example of this, because shaping it had required Crowley to not only step out of his comfort zone on occasion, but more than once leap out of it and through hoops of fire. Aziraphale still had a hesitant, almost fearful air about him, but his shoulders lowered a fraction. The shine in his eyes dried up. Oh, I see. You meant it as a surprise. It's a gift? Y yeah. Not the truth. Not the whole truth but close enough. Crowley could work with this. Humans have been playing around with weekend cottages for ages. Thought you could do with one. If you want it. Once more, he had to fight not to stop breathing. Not that he worried about scaring Aziraphale as he would have scared a human, but it would have been a huge tell. Lying to Aziraphale was like chewing glass. And telling half-truths wasn't much better. 
being caught in a lie was unthinkable. Aziraphale frowned. Crowley stubbornly refused to shriek in terror. After almost a full minute, Aziraphale said, Right. Well... Crowley couldn't read the myriad of emotions that brewed in the angel's eyes. Was this it? Was he caught out? Surprisingly, it ended up being Aziraphale who let out a breath as if he'd been holding it. A smile, soft and sweet, settled on his lips, and though it didn't completely reach his eyes, it looked genuine. I've done this all wrong, haven't I? He said. He stepped away from the cottager's door. After the briefest of hesitations, he held out a hand, reaching, inviting. Would you be so kind as to give me a tour of the village? Crowley knew he should say no. He really should. There was no way he could show Aziraphale around these parts and not reveal exactly how entrenched he was here. He should get Aziraphale into the Bentley and postpone the whole conversation until they were safely back in London. But Aziraphale was offering his hand. There was no saying no to that. As you wish, Angel, Crowley said, forcing a confident smile. He moved closer, careful to let Aziraphale take the lead in what degree of touching there would be, if there was to be any. He had to refocus all his attention on keeping his wings where they should be. Four. Out of sight, that was. Angels and demons' wings never truly vanished, but since they'd begun drawing more questions than awe from the human population, all creatures of angelic stock had gotten into the habit of hiding their wings from view, even from each other. While out of sight, the wings also remained out of physical space, meaning you conveniently avoided getting them trapped in subway doors and ceiling fans. Oh, and so you didn't have to reveal that you were all but weeping feathers. When Aziraphale took his hand and gently guided their arms together, linking them at the elbows. They'd not done this, even when it had been in fashion for friends to do so. Lead the way, Aziraphale said, still smiling, still careful. Where do you want to start? Cheer came easier now. They were touching, practically in public. So what if Aziraphale didn't fully understand? All hard work put into this place would get its chance to shine, and the angel might return there once or twice in the next decade. That really should be enough. He'd just have to clean out all the feathers later, and everything would be fine and normal again. I wouldn't say no to dinner. Aziraphale said, giving Crowley's scent such a loving pet that Crowley nearly swooned. Not that he'd ever admit that. Have you any restaurant recommendations? Far too many. A thrill running down his spine, Crowley managed a genuine, comfortable smile this time and said, I think I know a place or two. Crowley quickly got them out of the garden and away from the cottage. 
they'd go get a bite to eat and talk away from the cottager's distracting presence he'd think up a way to smooth this over and all would be well also he'd been sure he'd seen a glint of light from a window across the road so he suspected they'd have nosy neighbors descending upon them within minutes if they didn't leave quickly five mitch had since years back been equipped with a pair of binoculars and no shame immediately after putting down said binoculars he gave andrea a ring resulting in the following conversation andrea you won't believe what just happened at antony's oh old margaret will have your head for spying tell me everything right so antony showed up he what shush i'm talking now antony showed up in his car calm as you please goes inside and then minutes later he storms out with his friend trailing behind him looks like mr fell is a liar oh my god anthony didn't know he was here apparently not but before you panic i think this might actually be a good thing anthony looked a bit upset at first but that fell bloke wasn't doing much better before i knew it they had this awkward kind of flirty body language going and they ended up leaving for town arm in arm mitchell green are you telling me anthony and his friend are out and about here in the village possibly on a date date i am should i call jane are you kidding we're calling everybody in aziraphale's long experience crowley rarely lied he lied to humans like clockwork yes but he didn't lie to aziraphale in fact to aziraphale's knowledge he'd lied to crowley more times than it had been the other way around which made this a very rare and concerning occasion indeed but it was also a clue a very helpful one this is just marvellous aziraphale said as the serving staff brought in their sushi doing his best to sneak careful glances at crowley while pretending to be wholly entranced by their dinner no real challenge since the meal did look marvellously tasty i'm so glad sushi has gotten this popular one never knows what trends will carry over from nation to nation but it's always so pleasant when something as lovely as this crowley made a noise of agreement and poked at one of his sushi pieces with a chopstick it wasn't the listless anxious sort of poking that aziraphale had gotten sadly used to seeing during the past eleven years but the absent-minded entranced kind that sent all kinds of organs inside him a flutter bon appetit aziraphale made sure to savour each bite even longer than usual commenting the taste and texture with as much enthusiasm as he could muster this continued to be easy as the sushi was excellent and thus he was able to pull all his true attention into studying crowley's reactions to his comments crowley had suggested restaurants to dine at before countless times He'd always been pleased when Aziraphale had praised the food of the place they'd ended up in, but this time something was different, more intense. Crowley had not only been attentive when they'd sat down in this restaurant, 
He'd carefully picked their table and left to have a word with the chef before the menus had been brought out. He acted for all the world as if he were a startup restaurant owner awaiting the judgment of a famous food critic. What have I stumbled upon, my dear? What did I miss back at the cottage that upset you so? Aziraphale silently set up a list of plausible reasons as he kept the praise coming, checking them off one by one as he disproved them. The first reason he thought up during the panic and wretch as Crowley had let him out of the cottage was that he'd stumbled upon a hiding spot. That this village and cottage was a place Crowley went to be alone, away from all things divine and demonic. That idea was quickly dismissed by Crowley's clear distress at Aziraphale's possibly disapproving of the place. Not that he'd said so in so many words, but he'd been projecting it so strongly he'd been all but shouting. That meant the second possible reason became very plausible. The cottage had truly been meant as a surprise gift and Crowley had been upset to see a surprise spoiled. If this encounter had happened but a hundred years previous, Aziraphale would have let himself stop at that. It had to be at least partially true, judging by the first words Crowley had blurted at him upon discovery, but he was missing something, and it was something delicate and important. Thus he arrived upon the third reason, just as he partook of his final piece of sushi. Crowley had acted this way before, not perhaps this strongly or clearly, but there had been times when he'd been almost this nervous and jittery, without an impending apocalypse to fear. Aziraphale had seen him this invested, yet terrified, on at least three previous occasions. This was Crowley worried about scaring Aziraphale off. I can't blame you. Not that Aziraphale blamed himself either. Regret was one thing, but he could never blame himself for wanting to keep Crowley safe. Hindsight telling you of how you could have done things differently, faster, was not the same thing as doing something wrong. He'd had moments of blaming himself. Six. And by moments, Xerophil meant the 1950s. Yes, but those moments were far behind him now. Far behind the both of them. And to his surprise, the knowledge that Crowley was panicking was helping him be daring. Not just feel daring, but be it. He still couldn't believe he'd offered Crowley his hand, and yet here they were, after having walked a good twenty minutes arm in arm, sitting so close their knees could brush against each other. It was exhilarating. Are you going to eat that? Aziraphale asked, to try and gorge Crowley's state of mind. Crowley, who'd been resting his elbow on the table and his chin in his hand, sat bolt upright. You can have it. 
came the swift reply, right before he began to push his plate away. How kind of you! Aziraphale took the offered foot without protest, because he suspected any sign of rejection would send Crowley spitting further into panic. As much as that emotion was having Aziraphale be bold, he did not relish it. The whole reason it spurred him to be so unusually forward was, after all, because he wanted to soothe Crowley's distress. He settled for enjoying the last of the sushi in reverent silence, well aware of the close eye Crowley was keeping on the proceedings. Dessert was the first word out of Crowley's mouth, the second Aziraphale put down his chopsticks. That would be lovely. I know a good place nearby. Aziraphale noted, as Crowley went to actually pay their bill in person instead of miracling it away, that Crowley seemed to know this village like the back of his own hand. There was no doubt about it now that they'd walked through it together which meant the cottage wasn't any old house Crowley had thought would make a fine gift. The feathers, they were the key to this somehow. Aziraphale felt the answer staring him in the face, tantalizing close, but still out of reach. No good would come from getting hung up on that, though. When faced with a mystery, more clues were what you needed. Staring yourself blind at the few you had would only end in frustration. All done? Aziraphale asked, linking arms with Crowley again. Now that he dared to do it once, he saw no reason to deny himself doing it again. Especially not when the thrill it gave so clearly resonated in Crowley. The poor demon all but froze at the first touch but not in that fight-or-flight way that would have worried Aziraphale. No, this was an anticipatory kind of stillness, the kind you showed when something skittish approached you and you didn't wish to frighten it away. It should be both amusing and annoying that Crowley was treating him as some form of trembling woodland creature, but it ended up heartwarming instead. It was just in this that the usually so brash demon chose to wait, which showed how well they knew each other. Letting you set the pace. Aziraphale's own voice crowed at him in victory. Though hadn't that always been the case? Crowley showing him or telling him what he'd like the next step for them to be, but never forcing the issue? He'd wait, more or less patiently, for Aziraphale to step through whatever door he'd opened before crossing the threshold himself. All Aziraphale needed to do now was figure out where this door led, so he could find a way to step through it and onto the path beyond. To no real surprise, Crowley led them to Grace's baked goods. Grace wasn't behind the till when they walked in, but Crowley confidently led them to a free table, and seemed not at all bothered by the lack of humans present, as all the tables were free. 
Aziraphale hadn't sensed any magic, but Crowley might have sneaked a miracle while he was distracted by the sushi earlier. Did he wish for their meals to be wholly private? Now that was a thought that spurred Aziraphale's heart into a delighted gavotte. You've brought me cake from here before, haven't you? Aziraphale asked, partly to see how Crowley would react, and partly to cover for himself in case his compliments ended up somewhere along. This establishment always is so excellent. He had the feeling that he'd disappoint if he revealed he'd already gotten to know Grace and her fantastic baked goods face to face. Crowley made a sound of confirmation, then said, Staff must be on a smoke break. I'll go find her. Aziraphale stayed in his seat by the window, torn between the distraction of delight and the need to keep solving the mystery presented here. They needed to go back to the cottage after this, together. Whatever had gone wrong there, they couldn't go back to London with it unsolved. He'd just need to convince Crowley of that. Unbidden, a flush crept into his cheeks at the thought of the cottage and its feathers. He quickly distracted himself with thoughts of dessert. The café door opened at the same time as Crowley returned from the back of the shop, Grace in step behind him. If Aziraphale had been familiar with movies in general, and westerns in particular, he would have recognized the ensuing moment as a standoff. As things were, all he realized was how still everyone had gone. The people entering the café, frozen in the doorway, included the woman who had spearheaded the garden wall chat but two hours earlier. It looked to be the same group, the ones not yet inside the café, visible through its white and carefully cleaned windows. All of the people from two hours ago, entering the café where he and Crowley just happened to be. Surely not a pure coincidence. Anthony? The woman at the head of the group cried out with obvious theatrics. Didn't know you were in town. How have you been? Crowley twitched. It wasn't the hostile reaction of him faced with an enemy, or the annoyance of coming across an obstacle or distraction. No, this was Crowley caught unaware by something important. Just here to check on the cottage, he said, or rather mumbled, shifting his weight from foot to foot. Aziraphale's misunderstanding dawned on him as pleasant and warm as the sun. These weren't Crowley's minions. These were Crowley's friends. Why, hello, he said, putting all the cheer this realization had brought with it into his words. Such a pleasure to run into you all again. He steadfastly ignored the mouth again. Crowley directed his way and focused on exuding welcome. Anthony is giving me the grand tour, so to speak. The cakes here are just divine. Oh, yes. Grace is ever so talented. The oldest of the women in the group, the one who'd offered him a room for the night, sat. 
As if on cue, Grace blushed and tutted disagreement, only to be gently hushed by all present, even to Aziraphale's pleased surprise, Crowley. The younger of the two men in the group broke off from the others by a few steps, smiling. Antony, do you have a minute? I could do with some advice on, um, roses. Crowley gave the man an unimpressed look. Roses. Yep. The man stood his ground, chipper in his blatant lie. Roses. I could do with some rose advice, too, the woman at the head of the group said. It'll just take a second. Don't want to, uh, interrupt too much. She wiggled her eyebrows at Crowley in the most ridiculous fashion. Aziraphale had to stifle an undignified giggle. Crowley just stared at her. Grace, you've got roses in the back garden, haven't you? The woman asked with no trace of subtlety. Would it be okay if we used them for reference real quick? Grace gave a shrug and Crowley took a step back. Dark glasses hiding them or not, Aziraphale knew the exact moment Crowley's eyes sought his. After six thousand years of knowing a person, you learned a thing or two about their non-verbal cues. Crowley was gearing up to fight. Maybe not physically, but he was preparing to either miracle or yell his way out of the situation. He still showed no traces of anger or true fear, but he was asking for a signal. One not, one single sign of discomfort, and Aziraphale knew Crowley would erase the both of them from the memory of these humans and make sure they never met again. Quite an extreme and unprecedented reaction, and yet Aziraphale had no doubt of its validity. Crowley liked these people, and yet... Another clue, then. I'll be all right here, my dear. Aziraphale forced his shoulders to relax further, made sure to project confidence along with the welcome. You're such a talented gardener, it's only fair you share your knowledge. I'll order for us while I wait. Crowley hesitated. For crying out loud, it wasn't as if he was leaving him with the heavenly host. We're all friends here. They were Crowley's, so they would be his as well. It took Crowley two more false starts before he finally left the room. Whatever the look was that he exchanged with the oldest woman in the group before he left, it passed too swiftly for Aziraphale to read. He wasn't surprised when said older woman came over to his table and took a seat the second Crowley was out the door. I'm Margaret, she said as the two remaining members of her group awkwardly shuffled over to another table. How are you enjoying our fair village? Marvellously, Aziraphale answered honestly. It was an utterly delightful village, and getting the guided tour of it from Crowley was a wonderful cherry on top. Have you lived here long? I moved here fairly young and newly wed, before you were out of school, I should think. Aziraphale did not comment on this. 
because after being around mortals, as long as he had, one got used to assumptions about one's age. Things could get rather messy if one went around correcting said assumptions. 7. Aziraphale learnt this lesson approximately 5,003 years ago, when the group of humans he was visiting at the time insisted on seating arrangements according to age. There had been no angry mob, but dinner had been utterly ruined, as every human present had prostrated themselves before Aziraphale in worship. He was sure to never make the mistake of showing his wings to win an argument ever again. He instead waved Grace over and placed a quick order, then waited for Margaret to do the same. The second Grace left the table, Margaret asked, You came here without telling Antony, didn't you? The question brought Aziraphale up short, but only for a second. If there was one thing you get used to while in the employment of heaven, it was sudden and emotionally jarring topic changes. There was a bit of a misunderstanding between Anthony and myself. Aziraphale chose to answer. But we're doing our best to clear it up. That's good to hear. Aziraphale didn't frown, but only because he caught himself before he could. He let his gaze sweep across the cafe's other occupants and the way the woman at the other table so poorly pretended she wasn't hanging on every word set between himself and this Margaret. The man with her looked more relaxed, but clearly listening as well. Now, while he'd always prided himself on keeping up with the ever-changing social mores of humanity, Aziraphale had long ago had to capitulate to the fact that many unsaid things between humans would forever go over his head. Body language and subtext changed far too rapidly to keep up with, in his humble opinion. Analyzing text was one thing, because text was stationary and patient. Conversations, on the other hand, tended to be rapid affairs that through sheer speed could bowl one over, and thus keep hidden many clues that would have been far clearer in literature. For one thing, when characters in books gave each other meaningful looks or sarcastic comments, such intent was either clearly marked or possible to puzzle out from consequences later on in the story. In conversation with other people, there were no such helpful indicators or time for careful contemplation. All this said, Aziraphale wasn't blind. Whatever these people thought of him and Crowley, there was a clear undercurrent of concern to every word out of Margaret's mouth. She also looked genuinely pleased now, likely at what he just said. Aziraphale allowed himself a smile. Wherever this was going, he was sure it would lead him to more vital clues. He only had to hurry up and ask the right questions before Crowley got back from the rose bushes. How long have you known, Anthony? Margaret took a thoughtful sip of the tea Grace placed in front of them. Oh, a little more than five years now, if I don't misremember. 
George, when did Antony inherit the cottage from his uncle? Spring 2014, dear. The man at the other table sat, loud and clear, to his teacup. Ah, it seems my memory hasn't failed me yet. Another sip of tea. What kind of misunderstanding is it you and Antony are wrestling with? No beating around the bush, then. Aziraphale felt strangely grateful for it. Five years was clearly enough time to learn what a force of nature Crowley could be when he put his back into it. Aziraphale suspected Margaret had the same mental countdown going for when Crowley would come rustling back into the room and demand to know what they were talking about. Still, friend of Crowley's or not, there were certain things one didn't speak of with strangers. Or anyone. It's a private matter. The nod of understanding this earned him from Margaret was oddly comforting in the same way her straightforwardness was. I'm not looking to pry. I only want to give you some advice I wish had been given to me when I was, I think, in a situation quite like yours. Also, I want to make up for some ill-fitting advice I gave Antony. Aziraphale's gaze drifted over to where George sat, back now stiffer, shoulders a little hunched, bracing himself. Was the man about to bolt, to laugh? The woman with him didn't seem to notice anything amiss, her eyes fixed on Margaret. I don't know you, but I'd like to think I know Antony pretty well by now. Margaret put her teacup down with a sense of finality. Mitchell and Andrea won't keep him distracted for much longer, so I'll leave you with this. He's waiting for you. Oh, Aziraphale said. For a handful of seconds, words eluded him. Patterns came to his aid. He took in how much darker George's skin was than Margaret's, recalled all the ways humans had found to think ill of each other, put that together with Margaret's words about almost understanding. He cleared his throat. What was the advice you gave that you wished to make up for? The pleased smile Margaret had been given him shifted into an understanding one. I told Antony not to cling to false hope. But false hope is quite different from slow progress, as I'm sure my husband would agree. Out of the corner of his eye, Aziraphale saw George's shoulders relax. He couldn't help but return Margaret's smile now. Though he suspected, his came off more nervous than appreciative. Anthony has always been the faster of us two when it comes to this, he said. Hard explanation, hard apology. I'm doing my best to catch up. Margaret gave the back of his hand to a soft pat. Warms my heart to hear it, dearie. The conversation could have ended there. Aziraphale didn't let it. How did... Did he say something? Margaret folded her hands in her lap and leaned back in her chair, allowing her straight-backed posture to ease. Not as such. It's more what he hasn't been saying. Aziraphale could picture that all too well. Crowley was excellent at loudly implying, even when he didn't mean to. 
picturing him stalking about the cottage and the village, radiating emotions, pushed Aziraphale's own feelings into turmoil. Not panic, no, but a bit of sadness, a bit of tenderness, which confusingly also joined with joy. He found himself blinking back tears. It's mostly how he's so clearly been wanting to decorate for two. Margaret continued, to which the woman at the other table added in, as if unable to retain herself any longer. Oh, yeah, it's been painfully obvious about it. The rest of us were hoping it'd bring you to Fatima's next crafting group, so you could convince him to make something that isn't black for once. Crowley joining a crafting group? Black decorations? Aziraphale meant to make some comment on this, but did not get the chance. What did you do? Everyone in the cafe froze, Aziraphale included. This made it easy for Crowley to storm over and place himself between Aziraphale and Margaret, like a guard dog rushing to defend its master. To Aziraphale's further surprise, Crowley grabbed him by the arm and hauled him to his feet. They were halfway to the door before Aziraphale found himself enough to pull free, bringing their retreat to a halt as sudden as its beginning. Crowley, whatever's the matter? It took Crowley a full three seconds to turn around. When he did, his hands flapped about like hysterical birds, hovering fists above Aziraphale's shoulders, then his face, only to be shoved deep into the far too small pockets of Crowley's trousers. Angel, you're... One hand pulled free, gestured in the vague direction of Aziraphale's eyes, then dove back into its pocket. Oh. If Aziraphale had been made to put words to the emotions this whole display provoked, nothing but fond exasperation would have fit the bill. Luckily, he'd never gone anywhere without a handkerchief since the day they'd been invented. He wished he'd thought to hide it in one of his coat sleeves, but then again sleight of hand magic might have upset Crowley even more. I'm fine he said instead, putting the handkerchief to work. I just got a little misty-eyed. How did it go with the roses? Crowley made a noise far too close to pain for Aziraphale's comfort. Never mind the bloody roses. We're leaving. Antony, Margaret said, swiftly cut off by Crowley repeating, We are leaving. We most certainly are not. The temptation to use a miracle, if only a small one, nudged at him, but Aziraphale managed to ignore it. He had the sneaking suspicion that things would go completely off the rails if he started throwing magic around inside this cafe. What has gotten into you, my dear? Rowley's mouth moved, but formed no sound. He seemed determined to avoid meeting Aziraphale's gaze while at the same time keeping an eye on every corner of the room. Aziraphale solved this awkward situation by taking Crowley's hands in his. 
A bit forward, yes, but far less drastic than magic. Margaret only gave me some sound advice. The clues were doing the work now, falling into place, urging his words on. I'm very much enjoying my stay here, and I have no wish to leave. Though I think there are things we should discuss before we spend more time in town. Crowley swayed, a minute movement only discernible to those paying close attention. Aziraphale kept his sword on his hands and gave them a gentle squeeze. When Crowley spoke, it was to mumble. Not here. I would agree with you on that, yes. They were moving closer to the door, both literally and metaphorically. Turning to glance over his shoulder, Aziraphale said, Hope to see you all again soon. Grace, so sorry to rush off. I've left your payment on the table. Seeking once more a miracle? Fine, yes. But they were so close to the threshold now, he couldn't pause. Actually, just as they left, he heard the younger man of the company say, So, uh, did that go well or terribly? I honestly can't tell. Crowley expected to have the walk back to the cottage to pull himself together. But no. Aziraphale led him out of the cafe by the hand, turned a corner, and then they were back in the cottager's garden. Bloody cheat! Not really a fitting thought, since they weren't exactly competing about anything, but it kept him from blurting out more than an angry blessing, as Aziraphale let go of his hand and turned around to face him. You do know I love you, don't you? All breath left Crowley's body. He'd meant to start the conversation, meant to convince Aziraphale that they should get back to London to talk about whatever it was he felt they needed to talk through. 8. Crowley, of course, knew what the elephant in the room was. He'd named it and been feeding it peanuts for the past three millennia. This did not mean he'd ever intended to bring it up in conversation. And then hoped to distract the angel with other matters on the journey back. This, he was not prepared for this. That said, or rather thought, he'd already seen Aziraphale tear up two times in one day, and that was two times far too many. He found words. Of of course I know that. I'm not an idiot. Thankfully, Aziraphale smiled. Not most of the time, no. Huh. Come sit with me. Aziraphale took the lead again, and they ended up on the bench. Nine. The bench had earned its capitalization because it had taken Crowley a good seven years to find the perfect spot for it in the garden. Sunlight needed to reach it enough to allow reading, but not too much to be blinding. It needed to shelter from rain without being hidden away. It, well, you can imagine the long list of requirements Crowley had regarding the optimal garden seating for a certain angelical bookworm of his acquaintance. Crowley did his best to lounge, but his nerves, inconvenient things that they were, wouldn't let him. Now, Aziraphale turned as he spoke, taking Crowley's hands in his again. 
Both ends, like a cheetah. The cottage wasn't meant to be a gift to me, was it? Crowley set up the straightest he'd ever set on a piece of furniture in his existence. It was. Is. Every room, every piece of furniture, every feather in the cottage had been positioned and formed based on the faint hope that Aziraphale one day would approve of them. That he'd one day consider living there. That was the whole point of making a damned nest. Crowley couldn't read the quirk his protest brought to Aziraphale's smile. For a brief, feverish moment, he imagined Aziraphale thought the nest built for someone else. Madness, of course, because Aziraphale had proved over and over that he hadn't been cursed with the same strange instincts as Crowley. And yet... You meant it first. Both. Sound escaped. The faint noise of birdsong faded. The trembling of the greenery muted into nothing. Crowley couldn't even hear his own breathing. Ten. This was because his lungs had decided to sit this one out. But there's clearly more to it than that. Aziraphale continued, his voice the only thing stirring in the bubble of silence around them. It's more than a building to live in, more than a pleasant village. The wards on the cottage door alone must have taken decades of work. There's something I'm missing. This was edging far too close to either Crowley's worst nightmare or a dream come true. 11. For a creature who had no need of sleep to learn the art of it took both time, effort, and imagination. It also took a lot of mimicry. This meant that you couldn't gain the benefits of sleep if you weren't prepared to also take on the consequences. In this case, dreaming. Crowley wasn't prone to nightmares, or he wouldn't have become as fond of sleep as he was, but on the rare occasions he'd experienced them, he'd tried his hardest to stop himself from dreaming ever again. This was about as easy as saying, Don't think about polar bears, while standing on the North Pole. He couldn't decide if he wanted Aziraphale to figure things out, because he had no idea how Aziraphale would react if he understood the situation. All the same, when Aziraphale let go of his hands, he couldn't make himself reach up and prevent his glasses from being removed, despite knowing that his traitorous eyes would let all the cats and likely a number of foxes, bees and bears out of the bag. I've done something to make you uncomfortable, haven't I? Aziraphale asked. Crowley's glasses gently cradled in his now faintly trembling hands. His smile wobbled, looking to remain in place only with effort. To this, Crowley's brain helpfully reacted with, No, stop, abort. The rest of him, unhelpfully, reacted by manifesting his wings. Fuck. Sitting there in a proverbial rain of feathers, Crowley scrambled for anything to say that would distract from the way Aziraphale was looking at him. It's not you. 
Crawley blurted out, like a lying liar who lies. It's a weird demon thing, is all. The cottage didn't feel demonic. Aziraphale murmured in reply, eyes fixed on Crowley's wings in a way that made Crowley flesh hot and cold, almost as much as the memory of finding Aziraphale in front of the hallway mirror. Please, I thought we were past keeping secrets from each other. That weaseled its way through Crowley's brittle defenses, leaving them as shattered as the self-esteem of the garden's begonias. With distractions and denial out of the way, bravado was all that was left to him. Also, he couldn't stay outside with his wings visible. The neighbors were all too nosy for that. All right. Fine. It's a weird me thing. Get inside and I'll explain. The sigh of relief this drew from Aziraphale helped Crowley get to his feet and march towards the cottage. Hopefully, he'd think of an explanation by the time they got inside. Being back inside the cottage felt close to coming in from a great storm to welcoming warmth and stillness. Well, stillness aside from Crowley's fidgeting. So close. Even Aziraphale didn't know if he meant proximity to the end of the mystery or to Crowley and his strangely distracting wings. They shed feathers as trees shed leaves in autumn, but there were no bald spots or signs of injury. The feathers came down in an unending torrent coating the hallway floor. This rung a bell that Aziraphale, for the life of him, couldn't place. Like I need more stuff to clean up. Crowley grumbled under his breath, stalking off toward the room with the mostly empty bookshelves. Aziraphale followed him, wringing his hands now that Crowley couldn't see him do so. Whatever confession they were approaching, Aziraphale had no worries about what his own reaction would be. Nothing here felt wrong, rather the opposite. This place, for whatever purpose Crowley had selected it, exuded warmth and safety, to the point that it had felt like the most natural thing in the world to say, I love you, out loud in the shelter of its garden. No. What made Aziraphale fret was the sensation that he should know what the confession would be. Feeling foolish for not understanding was one thing, but it was so very, very clear that his lack of understanding was the root of the current tension. If he only could... Right. Rowley said, whirling on his heels, showering feathers onto a cosy armchair and a rug, that looked ever so soft. This, he said, arms spread wide, is my home. Not an outright lie, but not the whole truth yet. What was the word he actually meant to say rushed through Aziraphale's mind along with a home. He said he has a home. As simultaneously his mouth said, but what about your flat in London? I thought that was your, uh, home. 
Crowley's hands fled to his pockets once more. A bit. Mostly, it's a... His wings shifted, nearly luring Aziraphale's attention away from the way he kept his eyes on the ceiling. A distraction. Distraction? Yeah, like a decoy. So you wouldn't find this, or... The last he bit off with a sharp click of teeth. Oh? Crowley hissed. <sighs> Aziraphale took that as a cue to move closer. Clearly a poorly read cue, because Crowley took a step back, circling around the armchair. He made it look casual, but seeing as casual was Crowley's default setting for everything that meant nothing. Crowley, what were you going to say? Both elbows on the back of the armchair, Crowley covered his face with his hands, hiding his eyes. It doesn't matter. Doesn't it? Careful to not get too close again, Aziraphale moved so they'd be facing if their eyes had been free to meet. Crowley, please. I want to understand. Crowley pushed off the armchair with enough force to move it a foot out of place and threw his hands in the air, clearly in pure exasperation. It's a fucking nest. Well. A what? A nest. Crowley all but shrieked and began to pace back and forth between the bookshelves and the windows on the opposite wall. Like birds make. I've been working on this one like a hellish bower bird since the 1970s. Aziraphale made a note to look up what exact kind of bird that was and dared to move one step closer. Have you... Another step. Built other ones? A few. The birds came out strangled, making a narrow escape from the prison of Crowley's throat. And were they all... The patterns were cooperating. He only needed one final fact. Did you, uh, intend them all for... Yes. Crowley's wings gave a sharp flap, upsetting an already quivering plant in the nearest window into a fit close to apoplexy. Blessed angel, yes. They were all for you. Oh. This confirmation, heated and shamefaced though it had been given, instantly made the world a much brighter, more colorful place. Aziraphale found himself smiling and both unable and unwilling to stop. Things were falling into place, the stubborn puzzle finally taking an understandable shape with no missing pieces. He had an open door to walk through. Yes, oh. Crowley bit out, still trembling with emotion and shedding feathers like a downpour. He kept pacing out of Aziraphale's reach, but not too far, threading the shape of an eight into the plush carpet. And you shedding feathers and decorating with them, that's part of nesting? Crowley gave a low groan and a nod that had Aziraphale rushing for his back in the hallway. Aziraphale. Crowley called out after him. Aziraphale, come back. The back was thankfully where it had been left, 
on the hallway table that so obviously had been meant for it and it alone. I'm not leaving, Aziraphale called back as he grabbed the bag. I'm only, he said, followed by a soft oof when he crashed right into Crowley as he turned around. There was a flicker of heat. Not euphemistic heat, but a change in the temperature of the space around them that vanished the second Crowley jumped back. Aziraphale chose to ignore it, though he took it as a good sign. Crowley, here, look. Aziraphale, what are you? Aziraphale gently pulled the bookmark from his back and held it up. Before anything further could be said, he unraveled the tartan cloth that was its outer casing, revealing what lay hidden inside. Is that... Crowley said, barely audible. Yes. Aziraphale held the white feather up with the triumph of one who'd found a needle in a haystack. The puzzle was finished at last, and the picture it painted was a glorious one. It always made me so worried that you didn't seem interested in homes. He began to babble, pure joy carrying his words. I've been ever so unobservant. Though it sounds like you've been working hard to keep me ignorant of your efforts, which I guess I can't fully fault you for. I must admit that the comparison to bird's nesting is quite apt now that you've pointed it out to me, though I'm afraid I'm rather too good at not thinking about things that worry me, so I have never built a proper one. But, but, but... I've had the urge to save these on the occasion that I've molted. He fiddled with the feather, taking in Crawley's unblinking eyes and slack mouth. It felt wrong to have them out in the open for to see. I did wish to keep them close, however, so... He held up the unraveled piece of tartan cloth. Bookmarks. Crawley cleared his throat, still looking polaxed. <coughs> you mean the bookshop? is full of feathers. Yes, but not like this. Aziraphale brushed a hand against the decoration on the hallway table, not yet daring to touch its black feathers. This is wonderful. Crowley would forever deny it afterwards, but he definitely let out a squeak at that. <coughs> they stood there in the hallway for a long moment smiling at each other in what Aziraphale suspected was an utterly sappy fashion. 12. He suspected correctly. Crowley was the one to break the silence. So, he said, still hesitant though sounding cautiously optimistic. Now what? Well, it's rather obvious, isn't it? It wasn't, really. But Aziraphale figured at least one of them should pretend confidence here. My dearest Crowley, would you let me move in here, with you? Crowley drew in a breath that was closer to a gasp. His eyes tore themselves from the white feather and came up to meet Aziraphale's, blinking for the first time since they'd entered the cottage. Th that would be... Uh, good. Good? Yeah. Rowley gave an awkward shrug and a self-deprecating smirk. Good. This was the moment Aziraphale chose to show his own wings. 
Crowley had never been as overwhelmed as he was in that moment. Aziraphale stood before him with the white feather in hand, had just asked to move in, and he had his wings out. Still good? Yep. Crowley said far too quickly, having no idea where to put his hands, his thoughts, or his words. Don't ruin this for yourself, you idiot. I mean, yes, yes, bloody fantastic is what this is. The hesitant smile on Aziraphale's face bloomed into one full of joy and pleasure. Excellent. How do we proceed? That brought Crowley up short. He'd never imagined they'd get to this point, not even in his wildest fantasies. What were they supposed to do now? Move in, yes, but there had to be more to it, for it to be done properly, or... Honesty, unfortunately, seemed the wisest course of action here. I don't know. Never done this before. Ah, yes, of course. Aziraphale gave a laugh, caught between embarrassment and satisfaction. Then we shall have to figure out the rules together, rely on our instincts. He tilted his head in a pensive gesture, before saying, Would it be possible for me to touch your wings? I don't know why, precisely, but I've wanted to since I've arrived here. Rowley's already syrupy thoughts ground to a halt. All he could take in were the searing white of the wings before him, as Aziraphale's request looped in his short-term memory, along with the word instincts. Crowley? Only if I can touch yours. Crowley's mouth blurted out, and the way Aziraphale flushed with approval made him less upset by this oral mutiny than he probably should have been. Seems instinct is working for the both of us, then. He said, if only to fill the anticipatory silence with something. Aziraphale clapped his hands in pure delight, which was too bloody adorable for words. Stupid, lovely angel. They ended up, of all places, in the bedroom. They hadn't discussed the room choice, really. Their feet just took them there once Aziraphale had been shown all the feather decorations the cottage had to offer. 13. When they passed the hallway mirror, Crowley had once more nearly done winged violence to a wall clock when Aziraphale innocently suggested they should get a matching mirror with his own feathers for decoration. Aziraphale was quick to claim the badge to sit on and patted the space next to him like he had when seated on the bench. Crowley could do nothing but follow. So? Aziraphale said, positively wiggling with excitement. Should I start, perhaps? It seems appropriate, you having built all of this for us. Crowley would have argued, or at least pointed out that he hadn't built the cottage from scratch or anything so grandiose, and that Aziraphale had his bookshop. But before he could voice his protests, Aziraphale's hands were on his wings. Every muscle in Crowley's body took a step back and decided 
to simply observe for the time being. He didn't collapse or fall in, but the second a zero fit touched him, he felt relaxed beyond measure, utterly safe and soothed. Here, lay down. Crowley put up no resistance, allowing a zero fit to guide him until he lay prone on the bed face buried among far more pillows than he remembered having put there. He felt the light pressure of a zero field straddling his legs, followed by soft, gentle brushes of fingers against feathers. Crowley let out a sigh of pure relief. Still good? What a ridiculous question! Angel, you have no idea. Not yet, no. But I'm hoping you'll help give me one after I'm done with your wings. That was a pleasant thought. Cracking one eye open to glance over his shoulder, he looked up and took in the sight of Aziraphale's wings in all their glory. 14. Angel wings are indeed glorious to behold. But people taking in said glory rarely wore the smitten grin Crowley sported in that moment. Then Aziraphale dug his fingers into feathers in earnest, and Crowley lost all the energy to keep his eyes open. Let me know if anything I do is unpleasant, Aziraphale said as he massaged Crowley's wings, sending Crowley all but melting into the bed. Or better yet, tell me when I'm doing something right. I'm merely guessing here. Lower, to the right, Crowley said. Not because Aziraphale was doing anything wrong, but because he could sense a bit of direction would be appreciated. The request was immediately followed and felt exactly as pleasant as the previous ministrations, so Crowley counted it as a win. He made sure to let out a contented moan to underline how well things were going. A hazy while of silence and pressure and relaxed warm pleasure passed. How many nests did you build before this one? I've almost lost count of how many. Crowley answered, no hesitation. Damn, this is dangerous. He couldn't find it in himself to resist it, though, even a little. The assurance of safety washed through him like waves against the beach, repetitive and calming. He could have gotten up, he knew, if he'd really wanted to. He just didn't want to, at all. Aziraphale chuckled. I feel rather foolish whenever having caught on to what the molting meant. I came to realize I preferred to have a place to call home a long time ago, and I would always moat when you'd been near dwelling of mine. The connection should have been obvious. Nah, don't feel like that. Can't even remember how I figured it out. Not like any other angels or demons are doing this. No, I suppose not. His hands kept up the explorations, pulling free loose feathers, straying ever so often to rub at Crowley's back and neck. Crowley lay there, undecided if he wanted it to go on forever, or if he wanted Aziraphale to hurry up so he could return the favor. I suppose this is ours. Yeah, Crowley said, new warmth flooding through him. 
hours. Nests weren't the only thing he lost count of after that. Time got really tricky to keep track of, too. It tended to fly when you have fun and all that. Crowley had never known his wings to be any more sensitive than his arms or his legs, but he'd honestly never tested out the sensitivity of any of his body parts before. It was staggering how good having a Xerophil's weight on his legs, his fingers among his feathers, felt. It had started out calming and pleasant, but while the pleasure remained, the relaxation had flipped over into ever-increasing swells of tension. Something's happening, he managed to mumble as the tension crested for the fifth time and didn't let go of him fully. It wasn't painful, but it was getting harder and harder to remain still. I think we're headed for the next stop, Aziraphale said, carding his fingers ever so gently through the feathers at the bend of Crowley's left wing. Hmm? You've stopped molting, Aziraphale said, a little breathless. And I've started. Crowley managed to fully open his eyes again for the first time since they'd begun whatever this was. He was met by a soft hail of white downs, framing a smiling and blushing Aziraphale. Would you take care of these for me? Crowley had them switch places so fast he wrung a startled laugh out of Aziraphale. Then Aziraphale gasped as Crowley buried his hands at last in the soft whiteness of the wings before him. That is ever so lovely. Do continue, please. You got it, Angel. Crowley willed himself to slow down, to start as gently with Aziraphale's wings as Aziraphale had with his. He traced the edges of the wings, carefully coaxed three loose feathers, and gathered them in a pile by Aziraphale's right hip. He watched gleefully as calm turned to deep relaxation, turned to mounting tension. He almost, almost, wasn't surprised when the waves of tension and brief relief began to tug at him as well, one beat behind Aziraphale's, in a strange call and response. He did his best to focus on the feathers, forcing his touch to remain light. I'm not made of glass, Aziraphale huffed, after the muscles along his spine had grown taut a third time. If you say so, Crowley said, grinning like a loon, and very much out of breath. Aziraphale threw him an amused glare, eyelids heavy. I do say so. And hold on tight, love. Did you just call me... Aziraphale began to say, but cut himself short with a soft cry. Crowley had taken the order to heart and dug both hands in among the feathers, giving a firm pull at loose and secure ones alike. Too much. Don't you dare stop. Wouldn't dream of it. The rest of the exercise was a blur of building tension, soft sighs, sharp cries, and gasps from both parties. It wasn't until Aziraphale outright screamed that Crowley came to his senses. He drew his hands away as if burned, and 
almost had time to speak before it hit him too. Whatever sensation had overtaken Aziraphale flared up and out, crashing against Crowley with a force that knocked him back and nearly off the bat. Not that he noticed this, as he was too busy trembling and echoing Aziraphale's scream, as a torrent of pleasure rushed over him, wrapped around him, and shook him like a ragdoll. When Crowley managed to bring the room back into focus, his left wing and arm were hanging off the back, and he had a crack in his neck. Oh my, Aziraphale said from the other end of the bat. I can't say I was prepared for it to be that. A pause and a laugh. <laughs> Intense. You're telling me. Crowley answered when he'd found his voice again. There were feathers everywhere. Or messy. I came here to tidy up, not the other way around. This prompted Aziraphale to dissolve into a fit of giggles, which Crowley soon followed him into. I'll help you clean up, Aziraphale said once they'd both calmed down and let their wings go back into hiding. I think... He reached out for Crowley, pulled him close. I think I should make some form of decoration out of your feathers. And you should make some out of mine. Crowley nodded, rubbing his cheek against Aziraphale's in the process. Sounds good. He felt wonderfully tired, as he hadn't allowed himself to be for decades. He'd slept, yes, but sleep and relaxation weren't necessarily the same thing. Time for bed. But we're already in bed. Crowley rolled his eyes and made sure Aziraphale saw it. You know what I mean. Well, if you insist... Aziraphale scooted back a bit to rest his back against the headboard, and in the next second he was wearing a ridiculously out-of-fashion nightgown and holding a book. He let Crowley tend to freeing the covers from feathers before getting the two of them properly bedded down. Crowley made no comment on the nightgown or the book, merely nestled close to Aziraphale, Head and the angel's lap in a manner that would have been terribly uncomfortable had he been human. Fifteen. Crowley preferred to keep the general shape and size he'd settled for back in Eden, but he wasn't above moving bones and internal organs about a bit, if it meant he could sit or lie down as it pleased him. Aziraphale broke the comfortable silence, just as Crowley was drifting off to sleep. I'm keeping the bookshop. Of course you are. Also, we should bring the neighbor's gifts when we get back from London. What? Crowley forced away sleep a while longer, seeing as this was turning into an actual conversation. It's what humans do when they move into new houses. Aziraphale said matter-of-fact, eyes on his book. It's only polite. If you say so. He'd have no trouble finding a suitably passive-aggressive gift for the Johnsons in number three. Sixteen. The Johnsons ended up with a terribly expensive and utterly garish sundial they had long fights over for the rest of the year. 
seeing as Mr. Johnson always took the chance to sow seeds of strife between any couple he came across, and Mrs. Johnson, on several occasions, had demanded Crowley let her horrible offspring play in his garden. Crowley was immensely pleased by this. Old Margaret should get something, too, now that her interference had turned out all right in the end. Felt only proper even if there had been no actual demonic deal struck between them. Even Mitch, the meddlesome prick, deserved something for facilitating this. It's got nothing to do with you wanting to keep track of the neighbors, right? Don't be cross, Aziraphale said in the tone of voice that told Crowley he'd been completely correct. But you do know that the man in the house opposite yours has a pair of binoculars he seems more than happy to use, don't you? Ours. Crowley sat, wrapping an arm around one of the Xerophil's legs. Beg pardon? Our house, Angel. Stars, did it feel good to say that? The hand Xerophil wasn't holding his book with found its way into Crowley's hair. Yes, how silly of me, he said, sounding every bit as pleased as Crowley. Our house. Crowley decided he didn't need sleep after all. Read to me. But of course. Neither felt the need to move until dawn. 17. This both thrilled and infuriated Mitch, Andrea and Jane, who'd refused old Margaret's sage advice of leaving their neighbors the hell alone to sort things out in peace. While old Margaret and George spent a pleasant evening watching Midsummer Murders and basking in a job well done, the aforementioned trio spent theirs in Mitch's kitchen, drinking and gossiping and keeping their eye on a certain Bentley, in case one or more people should come rushing out of the cottage opposite Mitch's. They all woke up the next morning to a surprising lack of hangovers and an even more surprising knock on the door. Few things discourage people from future use of binoculars as an overly cheerful angel who's come to deliver you breakfast with a side helping of subtextual guilt tripping. Once the sun returned from its nightly rest, they would have a million and one things to see to. But for now, they would rest and simply enjoy each other's company. After all, what else was a nest for? The end. This multi-voice podfic was voiced by Pisnaker as Aziraphale The Lord of La Mancha as Crowley Compass Rose as Footnotes Kendra Izzy-Murray as Old Margaret Semper Fiona as Mitch. Unholy Crowley as Andrea. Gorilla's Gal 86 as Fatima. Lena Lollipop as Liza. Bored Man, read by Spud Getty. Tiferia as Grace. Tipsy Kitty as George. Etchima as Shane. And Jup as Narrator. Oh, that's the end. And that was Compass Rose, as footnotes. Indeed, I am a footnote, a footnote to history, or not.
a footnote to my own footnote, a footnote to my own brain, commentary galore. <laughs> oh, I thought you were a sensible young person who understood that work isn't the end-all be-all of life. See, I'm used to it being the be-all end-all, but whatever. You came here without telling Antony, didn't you? You cheeky bastard. Margaret approves. Margaret's a rad old gal, you know. What kind of misunderstanding is it you and Antony are wrestling with? Is it Anthony? I'm keeping it consistent. I call him Antony. I don't give a fuck. We'll just say Margaret pronounces everyone's name wrong. Falafel with extra hummus and chips on the side. <laughs> A huge thanks to everybody who helped me to bring this to life. Thanks for listening. <laughs>